0: Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films, with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution, as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And
1: this is Jesse. Today on Tap, we have The Treasure of the Sierra Madre, starring Humphrey Bogart, Walter Houston, and Tim Holt. Based on The Treasure of the Sierra Madre by B. Travin and written and directed by John Houston. Welcome back to Rye Smile Films. It's time to continue on with this little mini cast we're doing right now. Films we're thankful for. We got to do your pick last week, Zach and Mary. That was a great discussion, great breakdown on on that one. Um, That, that episode really cracked me up. Um, yeah. But here we're going to be a little bit more cerebral today with also some stuff we can kind of poke fun at as well. Treasure of the Sierra Madre, like CPR techniques. Yeah, dead, <laughs> oh, I can't, dead drowned I can't children. Wait to talk about that scene. <laughs> yeah, uh, Treasure of the Sierra Madre from 1948. Uh, we haven't done an older film in a while. It kind of seemed, you know, apt. This is a, a wheelhouse space that we really like, and we're really yeah. like talking about these films and breaking them down. So I think this is going to be a great discussion today. I'm looking forward to it. Um,
0: yeah, I'm glad you brought up Holt because Tim did Holt. You, did you see the Nicholas Holt
1: news this week? Oh yeah, Renfield. And Nicolas, Nicolas Cage? Cage? As Dracula. Wow. With the side order of Aquafina and uh, maybe a Lucy or Amina role? Like what's that movie gonna be about? <laughs> Is Nick Cage gonna get
0: all method as the as the count? I don't know. He could. Wow. That could be kind of fun. I'm there. Yeah. And to Universal and what we've talked about with their their monster franchise. Their
1: questionable dark universe thing. Yeah. It could be on the upward spiral. That could be fun. Yeah. But let's start out. You know, uh, got a new bottle today. This is Pinhook. This is Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Uh, what I really like about this label is they kind of like name them for like different horses and stuff. They have some fun with it. Uh, so this uh, particular uh, blend is uh, it's called Bourbon Heist. It is 98 proof and uh it's uh released just this year uh so uh, cheers to you cheers to you uh, here we go there we go all right that one has a you know a really kind of smooth finish but then it really kind of amps up in the back end and it's i'm still feeling it right now <laughs> Oof, yeah but in a good way you know what i mean it's uh, not in a way where you couldn't like mellow drink that you know in in an afternoon or recording an episode how about that All right, you ready? Let's let's get started with our flight question. with those horns and crescendos. Isn't that the great part about movies from this era? I mean, they really blow out that score. You got one of the greatest of all time, Max Steiner here. He did Gone with the Wind, uh, Casablanca, and he really brings it to this film. Lovely. Why don't you hit us with that flight question this week?
0: All right, so since this is a film that's directed by John Houston, Mm -hmm. I thought we'd take a look at the Houston family in total and see which of any Houston-based property in film you would say is your favorite so this is Danny Angelica John or Walter
1: I forgot about Danny Houston
0: <sighs> here's the thing Jesse when I gave you this question yeah I thought I was gonna be really cute and find some Danny Houston film or some Angelica Houston film that would usurp John yeah the truth is Are you
1: telling me you're not picking X-Men Origins Wolverine I'm not okay
0: um or anything that Angelica Houston's ever done okay Look, man, you going with John? <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> there are there are several slam dunks, but there are two huge slam dunks, and you know what they are. Sure, yeah. So in one, so can I? I'll do the one that wins, and then I'll do my honorable mention. Sounds good. And they're both in the same genre. Okay. Do you know where I'm going? I think so. The winner for me in this, directed by John Huston, in the same manner or with the same actor that's going to be featured today, Mr. Humphrey Bogart, mm-hmm. has to be The Maltese Falcon. Of course. It has to be. It's so good. Angelica Houston and Danny Houston be damned. Brother, Mm -hmm. it's not even close. Yeah. I mean, there might be another John Houston entry that's close. Yeah. And there is, but I'm going to go with the Maltese Falcon.
1: That's great. I mean, that's just kind of, at least on film, kind of like the arrival of film noir. This is kind of like where it all got started and then Double Indemnity after that and a lot of other Bogart, Big Sleep and some of those other films. Great choice. That would be another good one to talk about on, on this one.
0: I thought about that, too, with, like, a Peter Lorre yeah. built cask. I don't know if I can oh, do him again, but, yeah.
1: It's interesting. Yeah. Uh, um, what Was what was the Hitchcock one he did, the man who knew too much? Uh-huh. Good choice. Thank you. I, that, I feel like one of us had to pick that one. Yeah. I bet so, the other one's coming up here in just a minute, too. Uh, actually, maybe not. Since you uh, already threw down Angelica and Danny, and I forgot about Danny, I am going with Angelica, but this is maybe more of a personal choice, a film that I grew up with in my childhood, and mainly because I think it's so incredibly cast. I have to pick The Addams Family, the original first film, between Raul Julia, uh, Christopher Lloyd, Christina Ricci, uh, and yeah. she plays Morticia Adams. They were kind of on the cusp of something that was going to dominate 1990s family filmmaking, which was let's take a past TV show property and make it into a film. I think they were the first Mm -hmm. because then you have adaptations of the Flintstones with John Goodman. Yeah. You have Beverly Hillbillies. You have the uh, Brady Bunch film. It kind of became the thing in the nineties was let's take those properties that were great on the silver screen or on the silver screen Mm -hmm. or no, the small screen screen. and convert them to the silver screen. And that movie is actually fairly enjoyable. And I would even go as far as to say Adam Stanley values the sequels even better. She's a great Morticia. Um, oh, she looks it. She just has that look, that pale, yeah. lo- long black hair. And they're so good to each other. Her and Raul Julia, who was taken way too soon from us. Great uh, great combo there. Great chemistry. So that's my choice.
0: My favorite Angelica Houston film mm-hmm. is The Man from Elysian Fields. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's in it for about a scene with Mick Jagger.
1: You let me borrow that movie. That'd be fun to do, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah, that's because that's Andy Garcia. It looks like John Houston, but that is uh, James Coburn. Yep. Yep.
0: Oh, that'd be fun to do. That would be fun. Can I give you
1: my honorable mention? Absolutely. Yeah. It has to be Chinatown. Yes. Yeah. As
0: a acting performance by uh, uh, John Houston.
1: Yeah. Yep. Um. Yeah. Would you ever want to talk about Chinatown? Yeah. Because I yeah. Because you know that one's that's you know one that's fairly well regarded, but I, I wouldn't call that a perfect movie. But I think there's some interesting things to talk about in there.
0: We could do a weird cask okay. that's Nicholson noir. That could be the two Jakes, Ooh. Chinatown, and the Postman.
1: Postman. Ooh, nice.
0: Except hey. for the two Jakes. <laughs> yeah, because
1: that's a sequel to which one? Postman. Chinatown. Right? Chinatown. Oh, it is a sequel yeah. to. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Forget it, Jake. It's Chinatown. Duh. <laughs> well, love your choice. There's two. Yeah, I, I like how you. Again, thank you for reminding me that Danny Houston was also part of this family. And
0: Wonder Woman didn't make it
1: for you, huh? <laughs> Did he like 30 days a night? Yes. Yeah, he's, he's the bad guy in that one. So yeah. he's got some okay stuff in there, but nothing to, to write really write home about. But great choice, uh, great question for this week's episode. But, Matt, I am just dying. I'm dying to get into the weeds with this one. Um, let's get started with our review breakdown of Treasure of the Sierra Madre.
2: I missed it. Just take a fellow American to a meal? Such impudence never came my way. Early this afternoon, I gave you money. While I was having my shoes polished, I gave you more money. And now you put the bite on me again. Do me a favor, will you? Go occasionally to somebody else. It's beginning to get tiresome. Oh, excuse me, mister. I never knowed it was you. I never looked at your face. I just looked at your hands and the money you gave me. Beg pardon, mister. I promise yes. I'll never put the bite on you again. This is the very last you get from me. Just to make sure you don't forget your promise. Here's another face, though. Thanks, mister. Thanks. But from now on, you have to make your way through life without my assistance.
1: And that is director John Huston, who's, you know, the man in white that's, you know, helping him. Very untouchables man in white. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes, Mr. Frank Nitty. And then just for shits and giggles, here's this. Hey, pardon me, but could you help out a fellow American who's
2: down on his luck?
1: Hit the road!
0: Looney Tunes. Yeah.
1: Uh okay, let's start here at the beginning. Uh we immediately <laughs> was <laughs> that's funny. I always remembered that reference in, in the cartoon. And then when I finally saw the movie, it made sense to me. Yeah. It was interesting that Bogart as himself would show up in several Looney Tunes, Warner Brothers properties. He was yep. one of the Warner Brothers stable of actors. Yep. Uh but we start here in Tampico, Mexico with Down on His Luck, Fred C. Dobbs, played by Mr. Humphrey Bogart. I think this is the first time we're talking about him, too, actually uh just trying to make ends meet can you just imagine just being like in the headspace of this guy he has no home no job he's just peddling for coins Uh (laughs) just trying to get by i mean talk about really sad but then also i don't see the motivation in him either to like really make his life better until later on in the film why is he in tampico mexico that's what i want to know on the run right yeah oh there you go yeah very sorcerer like Mm.
0: Oh, th- this
1: film. I'm glad you brought that up because when we were here in Tampico and we do you want to volunteer for this job, I'll pay you this. And then you get swindled. The cat. It reminded me of Sorcerer. These four <laughs> yeah. down on your luck guys that yeah. on the run from their past to make something in a disgusting future. <laughs> she well said. Yeah. Disgusting, deadly. Can we talk about, um, so when he's sitting there at the bar and this, uh, little Mexican boy comes up and you know gives him a lottery ticket. Do you know who that is? Oh, uh. That's Robert Blake. No way. Yes. Really? I Because I was I was I was looking up the cast and it was like Robert Blake and like you know the the pictures on IMDB and sure enough this is one of his little first little film roles. Wow. He's like It's not Eli Wallach. It's not Eli Wallach, but he's like he's like, Signor, do you want me to sell you a ticket? I get part of your portion if you win. He's like, beat it, get out of here. I don't want nothing to do with you. No one's gonna win that. What a chance of luck. Um, but he does eventually end up buying a ticket a little bit later in this sequence, and uh actually ends up winning but winning. we'll get up to that yeah this opening of the film this kind of first 20 minutes maybe i think 20 25 minutes before we get on the road with our treasure hunt is fascinating to me yeah. it's you know bogart uses every peddling peso that he gets to go get clean shaven a hot a hot a hot a uh, uh, shave job he uses it to go drink he uses it. Uh, if he had more, he'd probably use it to, you know, pick up uh, uh, a sex worker or something, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but then you know, opportunity uh, strikes its way, and he's kind of offered a job, and in it is another fellow peddler, uh, Curtain. yeah, played by Tim Tim Holt.
0: <laughs> so he's got a running mate, yeah, which helps for the dialogue, and then allows this uh, relationship the two of them build together to then turn on each other. You know, it strikes me about the first twenty minutes of the film, and it made me think of you, okay. Is Sullivan's Travels? Oh yeah, because it's so gritty and dirty, and so unapologetic about how down and out. Now Sullivan's Travels is a bit more let's let's find and discover what that other side looks like. Where this is, you know, it, you're really submerged in it. But and both, both
1: of them, a bit more comedic. That one, fair, okay. This one is downtrodden. It is morose. It, like you don't want to be in the position that these guys are in. And I know it's black and white, but I can just feel how yeah. hot it is. I was
0: just going to say the same
1: <laughs> thing. I actually think this film
0: plays better. I'm surprised they've never remade it. Yeah. Plays better in black and white. Don't you think they could? Oh, yeah, it absolutely plays Because the better. dirt looks dirtier and heavier in black.
1: And then the more that time they spend in the sun, the more like sunbaked yeah. they get. By the end of the film, they're like sunburned, red beyond belief. Cooked. Ugh and dirty like they 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 go through a transformation here they're a little bit they're they're more better off here than they are at the end yeah it's funny that you brought up remake because i thought i was like this is a really well-structured story that in a modern sense and maybe it's because i don't know a lot of people that go hunting for treasure anymore but you know what about like a winning lottery ticket that kind of does the same thing for these people you could kind of maybe do something similar sure warner brothers i'm surprised you haven't gone there yet (laughs) Yeah,
0: too good an idea. They didn't want to burn it to the yeah, direct to streaming service. Exactly. Save that for you know when they can really make a real film. Like really try.
1: But these guys, it, we also probably have to call them a little bit uneducated, or maybe a little bit, and don't have quite have their street smarts because they're willing to take any type of gamble that comes their way. Because this job that they take, well, you laid it out. Yeah, if you get some money and you go get a shave, and then you can find a
0: prostitute mm-hmm. instead of getting a place. To put yourself up for a couple of days that has a sink to where you could do it yourself. It's just this shameful, mm-hmm. frankly, waste of money. Yeah. But that's going to be Dobbs, isn't it? Yep. Especially when we get to
1: what are you going to do with the money when we finish mining the Sierra Madre? Exactly. All right. Yes. Uh, so when they, they get this job, they're kind of almost kind of doing some sorcerer work. They are kind of building an oil rig, right? Yeah. Here in the middle of the, the Mexican desert and 130 in the sun is what they say. <laughs> even That's even in the shade. God, that sounds terrible. Oh, brutal. <laughs> uh, heat stroke. And yeah. they, they finish up this really hard job. Who knows how long it takes because we don't know the passage of time, but... The guy, the guy that's going to pay them is like, I got to go into town. I'll collect the checks. And he's like, hey, you wouldn't mind if some of us come with you, you know, so we can kind of protect our interests. And he's like, no, I'll, I'll meet up with you guys later. And sure enough, what happens? This guy swindles them.
0: Yeah, Off he goes. Off
1: he goes. And it's not until later when they're drinking themselves silly and they don't even have an extra peso for an extra cot for the two of them. So I guess they're going to share. Uh, they, <laughs> find, they find this guy. Yeah. And it's like, hey, bud, did you forget about us? What's going on here? And so... Off he has to go with his senorita, and he's like, here, I'll go buy you a drink. And did you notice what they, they go drink? Huh. Three ryes. <laughs> oh, really? <Yes>. Let <laughs> <laughs> me get three ryes, and here, we'll get the bottle, and this will make up for it, gentlemen. He's like, I'll buy you drinks, I'll get you drunk and stupid, and you'll forget all about it, and I'll just slip on out again. And that's not enough for them, right? Right. Oh, man, they they just let this guy have it. This is a great little fight scene. Pound him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh but you kind of see the desperation. I mean, the desperation that, you know, they're willing to take things into their own hands to make sure that they're paid their, their due. Um, and that's going to follow them the the rest of the film here. Did you find that fight on purposely
0: overly wrought with dramatic violence? Like, this isn't punch you in the nose and kick you in the ribs. Did you find that to be like they are unleashing hell upon him? Yeah. So, uh, me too. The reason I ask that is one of the things that... You know, Dobbs arguably is one of the 15 greatest characters in all of cinema, right? And I know that everybody gets Sam Spade and whatever the hell the name of, uh, God, how can I forget, his character in the African Queen, um, Bogart's ship captain. I can't remember it either. That guy. But I think Dobbs is the most rounded and wicked character. Wicked. Wicked. And that includes Casablanca. Like, Rick is a great character, but Dobbs is the, I think it's his best performance. And I also think it's the most meaty character because of things like this. When he's in the bar, like we've already laid out, like, you know, this character, I'm going to waste my money. I make reckless decisions. And when you screw me over, I'm going to kick your ass. But part of it's also my fault because I was stupid enough to just trust you. Like, he is ignorant and violent and reckless. And that is who, unfortunately for Curtin, has created this friendship that's going to allow them to make this vast fortune that, you know, it's based on Jesse. Yeah. Trust. Yeah. And isn't that
1: the key word in this film? Isn't this movie about trust or is it yeah. about greed? How It's about both. Uh, trust and greed. Trust and greed and how far, cause you know, when you do get a little bit of piece of the pie and this is looking good and and um, profitable, yeah. now you want more. Now you want, you want this part of the share or We'll talk about that scene coming up later where he's like, well why don't we just divide up our shares right now versus doing that later yep you already see the greed coming in of I don't trust these guys yep. and how far they're willing to take that um, but here uh, you know after this fight you know they take his money and so now they have at least a little decent to go hole up in a uh, shantat <laughs> sorts. Yep. I love how he describes it. he's like he's like it's got cockroaches, rat and scorpions but it's the best we got. And then in here, they meet uh, Walter Houston, another great performance uh-huh. in, in this film, who plays uh, Howard, who's kind of just spouting out about, you know, prospecting.
3: $5,000 is a lot of money. Mm. Yeah, hearing this joint seems like a lot, but I tell you, if it was to make a real strike, you couldn't be dragged away. Not even a threat of miserable death would keep you from trying to add 10,000 more. 10, you'd want to get 25, 25, you'd want to get 50, 50, 100, like roulette. One more turn, you know, always one more.
2: (laughs) It wouldn't be that way with me. I swear it wouldn't. I take only what I set out to get, even Mm -hmm. if there's still a half a million dollars worth lying around waiting to be picked up.
3: I've dug in Alaska and Canada and Colorado. I was with the crowd in the British Honduras where it made my fare back home and almost enough over to cure me of the fever I'd caught. Dug in California and Australia, all over the world practically. I know what gold does to men's souls.
2: You talk as though you struck it rich sometime or other, Pop. How about it? And what are you doing in here, down and outer? That's the gold. That's what it makes us.
1: So, again, like you said, what happened to Bogart? Why is he here now in his current state? I want to know the same about Howard. I yeah. mean, if he is so good and knows so much about the environment and the lore of what prospecting involves... And he's struck it a few times, it sounds like, because it sounds like when you get this, you want that. And when you get this, you want this. But what's he doing here in this Chantate too? You know what I mean? He should have his own estate and his thing. So he's done some stuff that he's lost all his money. Maybe he spent it all in nefarious ways on <laughs> on those same prostitutes. Um, but uh, here he is in the same thing. And I like Howard because Howard is, to me, the wise sage of our journey. He's the one to kind of keep them in check. He's like, he's like, if you're patient, we'll find it and we can do a good job at it, but you can't go doing this. You can't doing that because he's right. Gold will turn a man's soul a black. Yeah. What what do they say in Pet Cemetery? The soul, the the something of a man's soul is stonier. The heart of a man's soul. Oh, yeah. That's kind
0: of what he's saying here. You know, you brought it up and you're right. Obviously, he's speaking from experience. What a triumvirate we have here. Mm-hmm. Whether Bogart is drunk in that scene, I think he is. I do too. He's
1: talking drunk. Whether that's actually <coughs> Bogart drunk,
0: or that's that's what I was going to ask you. Yeah. Back to the Dobbs thing. If he's not drunk in real life, Dobbs is drunk in jail mm-hmm. or in that jail. It feels like jail. That Chantate, yeah. That hostel, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, yeah. These three guys are going to set out with nothing but the bare minimum of necessities, like the clothes on their back and the knowledge of this old timer. And again, here we go. It's, I'm going to trust that this guy is going to take us to the promised land and lead us to the gold of Sierra Madre. That's the trust piece that then is completely derailed by the greed piece. How you choose to play that out in the story how Houston chose to play that out in the story is of, I think significance because you can do something like I'm going to steal the horses and be, but the way that, and you get it, like he's going to rip off his, his friends and that's the greed. The trust is gone, but the way he does it, John Houston does mm-hmm. it is it's this very slow and equally interesting yeah. decline and people that are morally compromised to begin with, so they don't have to fall too far. But we watch this breakdown of each of their roles in the relationship and the things that they do. And I got to be honest, I think the person that's the worst by the end kind of gets the best fate of the three.
1: Death. Yeah.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. That's I don't know the way he dies is kind of gruesome. Quick, quick though. <laughs> quick. Yeah. And it's not in his back. No. Where <laughs> the other ones, you know. Um, that's John Huston, I think, really exercising a prowess over story that's always going. And I don't love every one of John Huston's stories. Yeah. Like there's some movies I'm like, that's a hard pass. Yeah. But he does have a really special talent to take the sublime or minimal and make it interesting for the audience in story. He's
1: so in control of this particular story too, of the where, where he stages it and how he's, where he's going to take these characters. To, adapted
0: from a short story, right? Yeah,
1: adapted from this short story. So he actually read it in 1935. This is a perfect segue and wanted to make it. He was always really infatuated with it. So this is pre-Maltese Falcon, which is his directorial debut. <laughs> Talk about a directorial debut. <laughs> yeah, Citizen Kane. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, but he he wanted his father to play the Dobbs character, and it never happened. And then uh, right before it was like nineteen after Maltese, like nineteen forty one, forty two, he was going to do it with George Raft, Edward G. Robinson, and John Garfield in the three roles. Could have been good. That could have been pretty interesting. But John then Garfield, yeah, what happens? World War II. and yeah. uh, John Huston is one of several prominent film uh, makers like Capra. And uh, John Ford that decide to go be documentarians for the war effort and make uh, documentary films. And if you, ladies and gentlemen, if you can stomach it, uh, Netflix has that documentary, Five Came Back. It's that book I gave you. They made it into a documentary. And then they have the actual uh, uh, films that they made as like a compendium. It's rough. I've tried to sit through some of it. And we're talking about going through war-torn battlefields, concentration camps, and if you can kind of get through that, this is the type of work that these directors were doing, uh, you know, during this time. They weren't making movies; they were, you know, trying to make newsreel footage so people could see what the hell's going on across seas. Yeah. So when he comes back, you know, I can't remember if he made a movie in between coming back and then and then doing uh, this film, but now he's got all the pieces. Bogart's become a huge movie star in the interim, Warner Brothers' biggest star. So let's put him in the lead role here. Uh, Bogart said at best, he ran into a film critic somewhere on the streets of New York and he says, wait till you see my next film. I played the worst shit you've ever seen. And he's totally right. He, I, I would equate his character as being, he's an already shitty human being who becomes even shittier as the movie progresses. Yeah. yeah. I don't think there's yeah. any kind of goodness in him at all. Really? Um, it's really hard to, to pinpoint that with, with his character. Yeah. But now we're on the road. We're going to the Sierra Madre Mountains here We're like kind of in between like in uh, here in Mexico and this was one of the first Hollywood productions that filmed outside of the US on location. They filmed in Tampico, they filmed in the state of Durango and a very problematic production if you can imagine. but that's pretty cool. I mean, they were mostly filming you know films on the Warner Brothers backlot back then. So here's Houston It's like we're gonna take it and show you what this looks like and I think that lends to the authenticity of that sun-baked atmosphere that they're involved in. Uh,
0: yeah, I couldn't say it. Yes, it looks real because it is real. It is, <laughs> right. it is real. And
1: there's, you can see where it is, you know, a uh, sound stage and whatnot, but it, it, it just looks really good. Yeah. But now when we kind of get down to the, the treasure hunting and the digging and these two novices that don't even know what they're doing, and God bless uh, Walter Houston, who's very patient with them and is going to tell them, this is how you do it. This is where we're going to set up. But uh, you know that then uh, then this happens.
3: Oh, look here, look. look at this rocket. It's full of gold. Plains of up. This stuff wouldn't pay a dinner for a carload. What well, ain't gold? Pyrites. Who's gold? <laughs> oh, not. there ain't plenty of the real stuff hereabouts. We walked over it four or five times. The place of yesterday that looked like rich diggings, but the water for washing the sand was eleven miles away, too far. And the other places, well, there wasn't enough gold to pay us a good day's wages. Hey, next time you fellas strike it rich holler than me, will you start flashing water around? Water's precious. Sometimes can be more precious than
1: gold. What do you think of that? Yeah. Big, big, big line. And a warning. And a warning to respect Mother Nature and what it offers you. Cause then there's that scene later when we've mined this mountain for all its gold. But now let's take the time and effort to break down what we set up and cause what she's given us back so much more. The respect that uh, Howard has for the environment and Dobbs just ready to just cut it and run, you know what i mean? Yep. Uh but here there yeah, like oh my god, we seen golden. I'm sure you've seen pyrite before. It looks like gold, it it does. like it it I used to be my grandfather had like a huge rock collection for like at at his house. So I would love and he had kind of like little like tools and I would go and like break open rocks and stuff. It was really cool. And, you know, there was times I was like, this looks like gold. And I had to be told myself that, no, that's pyrite. And I like that they call it fool's gold because what are these two guys? They're fools. Absolutely. Um, But once they start panning for it uh, and, you know, kind of milking the the rest of the resources, I'll play one more clip and then a series of events happens here. And I want to talk about each one of them uh, equally, but let's get right to it.
3: Get trapped! Shut up! Or I'll smash your head flat! Go ahead! Go ahead, throat If you did, you'd never leave this wilderness alive. Without me, you two would die here more miserable than rats. I'll leave him alone.
2: <laughs> Can't you see the old man's nuts?
3: <laughs> nuts! Not, am I. Let me tell you something, my two fine bedfellows. You're so dumb, there's nothing to compare you with. You're dumber than the dumbest jackass. Look at each other, will you? Do you ever see anything like yourself for being dumb specimens? <laughs> you're so dumb, you don't even see the riches you're treading on with your own feet. <laughs> Yeah, don't expect to find nuggets of molten gold. Rich, but not that rich. And here ain't the place to dig. It comes from someplace further up. Up there. Up there is where we got to go. Up there.
1: You almost think Howard's lost his marbles. I mean, he's just, he's like, oh my gosh, this guy has sunstroke. He's like going totally (laughs) crazy doing his little jig and dance, but... He's like, he's like, he's like you're going to call me stupid. Listen, stupid. It's like, look at what you're doing. You're fighting over this. You think I'm leading you astray. You're right on top of it. And this is what it looks like. And it's nothing more than like powder, right? Right. Almost like paprika or something. Like, it's like that fine. Yeah. Uh, but now they start mining for it. And I think on the first day, they get a p- pretty decent little supply here. But let's talk about this. This is the first thing. Uh, They're sitting there with the, the weight and scales, and they're trying to divide it into the bags. And, you know, they're just, I think... Uh Curtin and Howard are just thankful, like, we found some stuff. Now we know where it is. Now we can see how much we can get from here. And there's Dobbs, hands across his back on his little sleeping bag or sleeping bursack. I say we start dividing it up now. That way we – he's like, we don't do that in town, and we each man's responsible for his own keep. This is the beginning. This is yeah. where you see, like, this guy – doesn't trust the two of us to say he's going to get swindled when we go to the, I don't even know what they take it to a general store yeah. and they weigh it out for you, but he's afraid he's going to get swindled there. So why not separate it out now? And we make each person responsible. Like, what, what do you think of that? Is that, again, you said the trust and the greed. I think that's, that's both of those right there.
0: As the, the corruption of his character overtakes whatever minimal goodness, that's generous. That Dobbs has, you can start to maybe see there is a a thread of logic to this. I don't want one person, because if that one person loses all the gold, we're all out. So let's all work together. And at the end of the night, we'll all split it up and we're all like you could kind
1: of get on board with that. A little bit. There's worse ideas. Well, I was going to say, I don't not disagree with him. Here you are with two essentially strangers. You don't know anything about them. So, yeah, you would maybe be a little bit more protective of your earnings. But on the flip side of that, these two guys also haven't done anything to put that distrust in you. Curtin's been behind your back and gotten in bar fights with you and just been – he didn't ask for any of your lottery winnings. So why do you think he's going to – and I think he says that to him. He's like, I didn't ask for any of that then. Like, why do you think I would cut you out now? And then Howard, he's like, no, Howard's taking you into the middle of nowhere to find riches. Like, what's this old man? And he's old too. If you needed to gang up on him, you just beat the hell out of him. So, all of that is, this is what Rice Smile Films Country talking
0: about beating up old men. <laughs> all of that's the continued logic of someone who's intelligent. Mm-hmm. And that's where we draw the line with Dobbs. Yeah. The argument that I was making is like, logically, there is a rational system in place that maybe each guy should watch their own. He's too stupid to see it though. Yeah. And I think we have plenty of evidence to this point that he is not thinking this through cerebrally he's thinking this through greedily. Mm-hmm. And so instead of that being like logic or intelligence it's straight greed. Now he's disguising it pretty well so far. Yeah. But we just also had that moment where he threatened to beat Howard's head in with a rock. Because he was loony. So who the hell's unstable here right? Exactly. So, again If we have this tapestry strung in the House of Dobbs, it is decorated sparsely with two things right now, and that is gold, and that is violence. Um, We'll see if there's any redeemable moments for him in this, but regardless, Houston's painting a masterpiece in this ballroom.
1: Yeah. Second scene uh the continued mining for gold now they have like a little almost like cavern that they you know have boards up there and he's pickaxing the sides of the walls and what does he create it creates a cave in and the whole cave starts coming down on top of him and who comes to his rescue curtain he dives right in kind of could probably die himself pulls him out so again it's that evidence it was like if this man hated you and was so distrustful of you He's not going to save your life. He's going to let you die so he can take your abortion. That guy ran in there, and he barely knows you. Saved your skin. Yeah.
0: Worthless skin. Exactly. Sun-baked, dirty, greedy skin. Scene three.
1: uh, uh, Curtain uh, spots a Gila monster. It goes into a little kind of crevasse uh, underneath a a log, which just so happens to be uh, Dobbs's hiding place for his gold satchels. And so he's trying to lift it up with, like, a like a, like a a stick to get it out of there. And he's like, hey, what are you doing over there? He's like, "He's like, you're trying to get my portions, aren't you? He's like, no, there's a Gila monster in there, and I'm trying to get that out for you uh, because, you know, I, th- th- that's where your stuff is. And he's like, and if you don't believe me, if you're so distrustful of me, why don't you stick your hand in there and find out for yourself? And I love what he said because I know Gila monsters are fairly poisonous, but I don't think they can kill you. But I love the little lore that they give him to spook him is – what did they say? Howard is like, is like they'll bite, latch onto you, and and even if you cut your head off, the head will stay on for another six hours or something. <laughs> yeah, just to scare him enough to say, "Hey, stupid, yeah, I'm not trying to screw you. I'm trying to help you. Help you." And All what right. what happens? They pick the 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 rock off or the log or whatever it is. Big ass Gila monster, and they're on top of his gold pouches.
0: If a Gila monster, if a Gila monster walked into this room right now, oh
1: god, <laughs> I'm a ghost, man. <laughs> Talk about scary. Yeah. Those are like as big as your dog. Oh, yeah, it's, it's like that long and they have like a very venomous kind of poison because they essentially they just suck on you. Ooh. And they have serrated teeth, so then they that's how they latch into you. Yeah, that doesn't sound fun. No. But, but you go get your gold, man.
0: <laughs> Beautifully set up curtain is the the morality of this group, right? Or the Oh
1: yeah, he's he's to me he's the almost he seems like he's tagged along for the gold ride, but he's also the more most even kneel. Howard's a little bit senile. He's willing to do a jig and laugh the way he did at the end. This guy's got a couple rocks loose. Maybe he's been doing this too long. Well, what I was going to ask you is, is Howard
0: a future image of what these two men could become? So are we looking at Curtin versus Dobbs and the path to agedness could lead to Howard? How do you get there? Because for the mining that they're doing, I would say, yes, he probably has a rock loose, and that jig's a bit odd, and mm-hmm. maybe Howard's a bit off. He's not a terrible guy. No, no. And we're oh. going to have a moment coming up here pretty <laughs> soon where we find out that he's you know quite the medic, too. Okay. <laughs> so I think we're forecasting a possible future for each of these two if they can take the lessons that he's trying to bestow upon them and grow from them instead of, give me my portions. Yeah.
1: Again, right?
0: Yeah masterful storytelling.
1: And what part of this, cause okay, Dobbs already cracking. He was cracking yeah. before we even said go. How much does the environment have to do with this too? Whew. Imagine middle, you know, we're very spoiled. You know, we have refrigerated air <laughs> and we survived the summers and it's not sunscreen. Too, uh, sunscreen. Yeah. And swimming pools. It's not too bad. Yeah. They're in the middle of the Mexican desert, 120 plus degree temperatures at, at the top of top of the peak sun every day. And dirt and gold, laying on dirt, laying on on rocks. Yeah, viscous chemicals. Yeah, God, they must they're like their their brains going insane. Sure, uh, just because of the environment. So yeah. we see how treacherous that is. Now we're gonna get to the the, the final sequence in this thing, but I want to ask you this because of just that the way Max Steiner's music is and the way it sounds. Would you call this film a western? Yes, I would. But it feels like a different Western because usually Westerns are, you know, cowboys. OK Corral. OK Corral, uh, the searchers. Yeah. Being that there's no, like, you know, type of, like, gunfare like that. And we have our our battles here, but, like, it's like a treasure hunt. But, like, we are in the West. Like, you know what I mean? We are part of in that environment.
0: In, a, in the same way that the Wild Bunch isn't the traditional Western, that's, like, the closing of the West. I would argue this is similar in that... Okay, in the Western film genre, mm-hmm. the entire premise exists on one idea, and it's the savage versus the civilized. For the cowboy to live in the Western genre, he or it has to be more savage than the pieces that he comes into contact with. Mm-hmm. The minute the cowboy sits in the rocking chair, like Wade yeah, won't over. do in The Searchers, over. the minute you let your guard down and start to become civilized, get a bed, get married, settle down, domesticate, then you are not heroic enough with your savagery to fight off the forces of antagonistic presences and things that are trying to take you down. So in this battle of ultra, ultra savage beings, the cowboy ultimately is because he allows himself to not be domesticated. Okay. So that's the Western genre and a, and a breakdown quickly. Sure, the, the wild bunch is a look at the closing of the West. Mm-hmm. This is, is moving towards that. And here's my argument. If you are establishing a commodity-based money system, which would be gold instead of barter or instead of a work and you give me this horse or whatever it might be, when you start establishing a system of labor and an established currency and currency that's weighted and transportability, we're talking about banking. Yeah. That is moving from savage to civilized. So in a same... But totally different manner, both of those two films are looking at a closing of the Western genre. But nonetheless, absolutely still a Western film.
1: I bring that up to a great breakdown too, by the way, that's, you know, kind of what I was, I was looking for. Cause it's kind of hard for me to call these like traditional cowboys. I mean, Dobbs is like in a fedora, you know what I mean? He's essentially gangster, but like, uh, he's playing Sam Spade. A bandito
0: kind of right with the
1: bandana and the, yeah, a little bit. So it's hard to call these guys traditional sheriff in law enforcers when they are essentially kind of going against the law and traditional moral values. Yeah. Uh, especially when we see what they're about to kind of get into here. Yeah. Final scene. And then this brings us into our next sequence of crazy events. Uh, Curtin goes into town to get some supplies from the general store, and he strikes it up with this guy there. And uh, I'll get his name, yeah. It's uh, Bennett, right? There or you go, Br- yep. Bruce something, the actor. Bruce Bennett, Cody. Yeah. And he's like, hey, what are you doing? Yeah, I'm just getting supplies. What are you, what are you doing? Now we're he's really trying to kind of lose him because this guy also looking for gold here in the Sierra Madre Mountains. Um, so he's trying to lose the tail, trying to, and he even says, I tried to lose him on the way back. But what happens is this guy shows up, and again, Bogar's like, okay, Curtin, like you brought another guy in here to stake our claim. Like, it's like guns like drawn right away, instantly. And I like what he tells him too. He's like, he's like, come here and eat a meal. He's like, he's like, we're not savage enough to kill you on an empty stomach, but you better believe when the sun rises, you're out of here. You know what I mean? Like, ah, like it, it's Dobbs's character is so interesting because he is willing to go there. The hell is, he? He's admitting, like, he's saying he wouldn't, but in a quick minute, in a quick, he's, he's toast. The second if he even looks at his gold satchels, it's over for him, right? Um, but it brings another complication into this too of, okay, now we have a fourth party. And I think this is the first time we see Howard a little apprehensive of, yeah, this is probably something we don't want to be yeah. bringing in another outside source. Cause we trust, we don't trust, you know, what his intentions are. And his intentions are really heartbreaking. by the way. Yes. <laughs> uh, but we don't trust, you know, what he's doing here. And we already got a sizable amount. We can't be, what are we going to be splitting this with him now? Like that's crazy. So we need to get him out of here and, You know, let's see if we can do it without killing him. And they have a great discussion about it, and it reminded me of Deliverance. Do you remember when Ronnie Cox and Burt Reynolds and John Voight and them are all talking about, like, well, what are we going to do with this guy? Oh, yeah. We killed him? Yeah. Are we going to bury him? And Ronnie Cox is like, no, we got to go tell people we just murdered a guy. What are you guys talking about? He's like, well, Dynamite will will, will bury this, and no one will ever know. It's still murdered, guys. It's kind of a similar conversation. Like, are we willing, if we have to, to kill this guy? and they're a little apprehensive about it, except Dobbs. Except dobs.
0: Um, you, you kind of forecast a little bit. Why don't you get in to... You got some sound you want to do before I get, you run off on this? I All do. Right, go ahead.
2: Parele, parele! Yeah. Vengan acá todos. Vengan a ver esta palomita que me encontré en su nido. <laughs> Está Oiga, señor. We are federales. You know, the mountain police. If you're the police, where are your badges? Badges? We ain't got no badges. We don't need no badges.
3: I don't have to show
2: you any stinking badges. Better not come any closer. We didn't try to do you any harm. Why don't you try to be a little more polite? Give us your gun and we leave you in peace. I need my gun myself. Oh, uh, throw that old iron over here. We'll pick it up and go our way. You go anyway without my gun and go quick.
1: Another complication. Here comes up the mountain. Not only do we have a fourth person that we don't know what to do with him, here comes the banditos that have raided the train at the beginning, and they yeah. kind of got in a gunfight with them. Here they're coming to see what's going on up here on this mountain. Oh, gold? Like, let's us get involved now. And another thing that they have to deal with but it's going to lead to a kind of a pretty poignant moment where they get into 50 uh, fisticuffs via guns here. Yeah. And aren't they glad they have Cody now? Oh uh, yeah, exactly. Another gun to help us get out of this. Yeah. The banditos leave and you know, they're just trying to be, you know, kind of pests at this point and then pests later on. Uh, but what happened, Cody took a bullet in the middle of the crossfire and he's just laying there dead. And man, Dobbs is probably like, like, thank God, like we didn't have to do it. And he's dead. And so done. Mm-hmm. But, oh, and I forgot about this, Matt. Like I've seen this film at least maybe five or six times. I always forget about this scene when they like go through his personal effects. And then they find this letter from his wife. And I love, I look, cause you can see the dynamic of all three guys and he, oh, uh. uh Howard tries to read it, but you can kind of see he's not educated because he's struggling to read certain difficult words. So he gives it to a curtain, who's probably the most educated, in quotes, of the group. And we find out that this guy is going out for one last claim to make a life for him and his wife and his new child. And his wife's pleading with him, please, if you don't find anything, come back home for us and we'll figure it all out. And... Here he is dead. You know what I mean? Oh, God. It, it kind of broke my heart a little bit. It was it was really sad. So here it is again, right? So domesticated
0: that he's out trying to find the resources to allow himself to create a homestead for yeah. his family. Mm-hmm. You can tell from the moment Cody shows up, he doesn't have a chance. Bruce Bennett is entirely too good looking to be running with these three guys. <laughs> his hair is too perfect. And you can see it happening long before. Yeah he gets capped in the stomach of all places. Mm -hmm. Good Christ, what a way to die, right? Or abdomen, I guess, lower abdomen. If the film believes in the traditional element of civilized versus savage in the West, then again, you're looking at the Cody character as a perfect representation of how that plays out in Western cinema. You show up too clean, too much pomade, and too many good intentions for the family, especially with these three guys, you don't have a chance. But the thing that's so interesting, and this is where the West gets compelling, is you're moving there eventually. Like You have to move to that. We are moving to a settled, civilized state. So your days, whether it be Cody or Dobbs or Howard or whomever, Mm -hmm. are numbered, my friend. So it's fight it off as long as you can. And this, I mean... What I just said, we could apply to the wild bunch too. Yeah, And to the searchers for a certain, even to Liberty Valance to a certain degree as well. But the Cody character off in hopes or pursuit of better days in this savage environment
1: is wickedly, Mm -hmm. wickedly undermanned. Yeah, undermanned, unprepared, anything like that, yeah. So then another complication arises now, uh, members of a local Mexican village show up. And I think their first thought is like, Oh gosh, banditos again. They, what do they, what do they want? But then through the conversation and you know, Howard speaks the language. So he's able to like really communicate with them. He finds out that, you know, they're looking for help and he's someone who knows medicine because one of the local boys fell, fell in the river or fell in something, almost drowned. And, uh, that he just like won't wake up, like he's like taking on water, but won't wake up. So, is there anything you can do? So, here's what you're talking about. Where is Howard? How's he gonna prove his use? Because I think a lot of things that uh, hold him up a little bit are his age. I mean, you're right. I mean, it's almost time for Howard to hang it up and figure something else yeah. out, unless he can prove his worth, prove his purpose. Who knew that Howard was able to be part medicine man? Mm-hmm. We joke about this scene. So you want you want to break it down, what, what happens in this sequence?
0: <laughs> he manages to use the boy's arms as a well pump to pump the water out of him that I guess is remaining in there and then breathe the life back into him. With tequila. With tequila. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I guess there's worse ways to be brought back than that, right? Yeah. Um, <sighs> it'd be so laughably absurd if it
1: wasn't because there's no way that works. There's no way that works but Houston shoots it so somberly. That's what I was
0: going to say. Yeah. Unless Houston comes across like, "Okay, we're going to do this. I guess I'm all in and we're going to do this."
1: It looks like a ritualistic practice when he's there and he's just going uh, and everyone's like very melancholy and every, just like there's a low hum yep. amongst everybody about is this going to work? Is this going some what's going to happen? So it's the method is silly, but the way it's done is it's they're, they're all, all in like they're making us believe. Yeah, this will work. And it's a bit eerie and it's a bit, that a bit, chanting's odd, huh? Yeah. A bit strange. And when the boy wakes up and spits out the rest of the rainwater, he's a messiah now for this village. They're just like, Oh my God. Like, you know, this is amazing. So when he goes back to camp and reunites with Dobbs and curtain, he's like, Oh yeah, the, 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 you know, everything went really well, but then they come back to him and they're like, we want you to come back. Uh, they don't know why, though. Yeah. You're they, like, oh my gosh, they might kill me. <laughs> they might do this. They might something might be going on here. Um, should I take my gold with me? Uh no. What if they find out you have your gold? Then that's going to be another complication for you. We'll watch your gold for you. Curtin must be shitting bricks at this point because what it means is Dobbs and Curtin have to go it alone, make it to town, uh, to get this gold mine so they can get paid. Uh, this is maybe probably my favorite part of the movie where, uh, you really see the dist- distrust happening here, the greed, and that Sleeping sequence. Sleeping with one eye open. Yeah, who's going to fall asleep first? Who's yeah. going to not trust the other person until you know sleep just overcomes you from being so tired? Yeah. With a gun and just trying to watching the other person, and whoever falls asleep first is the one that's screwed, you know what I mean? Yep. When can you sleep? You can't. Yes. You can't trust that person. That person doesn't trust you for whatever reason, um, and it all just, you know it's leading to this.
2: ...anything over on me. I see right through you. For a long time, you've had it in your mind to bump me off at the first good opportunity and bury me out here in the bush like a dog so she could take not only the old man's goods, but mine in the bargain. And when you get to Durango safely, you'll have a big laugh, won't you? Thinking how dumb the old man and I were. You make another move towards me and I'll pull the trigger. Or right, get your hands up.
3: Come on, get him up!
2: Was I right, or was I you and your Sunday school talk about protecting people's goods you come on stand up and take it like a man
3: come on get up
1: Oof. Dobbs is lost he's God. he's absolutely snapped and you know the curtain's playing with him he's like I he's like I don't know why you still think that way I don't know why you think we do that and you know, even after the fact, if this wasn't Howard and if this was you, we, we would protect your earnings in, in your good faith. Nope, that's not enough for him. Uh, much like the way Cody went out, uh, he shoots him in the stomach. And he's just laying there. And he's then you see the paranoia. And I love this. And Bogart's performance is so good. I was he's like, I shot him over there. He's like, maybe I should bury him. He might still be alive. And he's like, he's like what if I leave him alive, man? They come back and get me. You know what I mean? Uh, what do I do? And you just see him snapping and his face is just like, like, like red at this point. Like he's so sunburned dirty and he's, his eyes like that's what always transfixed me about Bogart in this film is his, he's got crazy eyes at the end of this thing with just like this stare. And yeah, I wouldn't trust that guy either. No way. No way at all.
0: Is he Sam Smeagol to Gollum? Like
1: a little bit. Oh, that's a good comparison. Feel that
0: transition, right? Well, that's very greed like as well with the evils of the ring. The other thing too, I think in that paranoia bit that he's talking about, well, what if I don't, what if I don't hide him properly? What if he, what he is not considering Mm -hmm. is now he's a man alone. He has no, like Cody saves the day for them in the gunfight. I I would argue Mm -hmm. he's got no backup, no support and no knowledge of the area. So early on, like 15 minute Mark, we were talking or made the case that he's either logical or greedy. If there was any question to that, we clearly have seen if it's not that he's always been, the transition's been completed from logical or (laughs) semi-rational to straight greed. Because if you gun a guy down, obviously the criminal element would be like, I'm going to get his gold and we're going to get the hell out of Dodge. Mm -hmm. This crazy guy is, what if he comes back from the grave? What if he has a brother? What if his family's... And he can't even see the path forward in front of him, which is gold and hightail it the hell
1: out of there. Well, we forgot to mention the other portion too. You're absolutely right too, by the way. Um, They've all decided, much to the chagrin of Dobbs, that they're going to give a fourth portion to the widow and the son. And he's like, why the fuck for? (laughs) He's like, why? We don't even know this guy. Well, because Howard comes from a good place in his heart. He's very empathetic. He just went and saved this boy with the arm-pumping mechanism. He's willing to do that. And, you know, Curtin's so even neil about everything that, you know, he's willing to kind of go along with it and see that through to the end too. But now Dobbs is on his own without the guy that knows the environment, without the guy that is, you know, more empathetic. Yeah. And what's going to happen? The environment's going to kill him. It's going to destroy him. By the end when he shoots his burrow and now he's on foot, God. It's probably just he's probably just, you know... The sun has probably just wrecked his brain at this point. Yeah. Like even if he made it out of here, he's he's lost. Gone, yeah. And who does he run into? Gold hat. Yep. Uh, and it's this confrontation, like, hey, hey, we remember you. You and he shot at him. You know what I mean? He tried to shoot him through his hat. That guy's really named Gold Hat. I did not know mm-hmm. that his name was Gold Hat. That's yeah. awesome. Uh and so what do they do? You know, and just you know, the survival of the fittest out here in the wilderness. We're gonna kill you, take your resources, and then we're out. But what what do they do? Oh, so they kill him via machete. Right. And I will tell you that they did in the intention was he's decapitated by these guys. And Houston filmed it. And Warner Brothers is like, no, you can't show. Because they were going to show his head roll into that little pond oh. down there. And Warner Brothers is like, you can't do that. That would be great to see. You know, what a fitting end for just a shit character. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. But when I saw that they go down with him on the machine, I was like, that's a brutal way to go. You're right quick, but gruesome. Gruesome. What did they take his effects? They take his bur- burrows, and they think these sandbags are weighing the burrows down. So what do they do? Open them up and just leave it on the ground. Ah! <laughs> Mother
0: Nature wins. Blows back to the Sierra Madre. Well, not
1: yet. Here it's still on the oh, floor. Right, so right. maybe we could still, you know, scoop it up into a little thing and get something out of it. But you know what I mean? Like that moment, that's yeah, like... yeah. yeah that bittersweet thing in like film endings where you know characters have what what's coming to them here it's they don't know what that is or not educated enough to know what is in those satchels and yeah they just leave it like it's nothing okay i
0: want to ask you a question okay i, I think anyone at this point can recognize that our ratings for this film are going to be really high mm-hmm. so let's and it's the title of the cask is <laughs> we're thankful for so, yeah, okay. exactly. okay yeah. so yeah cats out of the bag woo is this missing an element in that hostel when they meet Howard or Howard says, or they somehow they come into some knowledge of the Sierra Madre gold mine load, mother load. Mm -hmm. And Howard says, you know how many men have tried to get that gold out of there? And the same thing always undoes them greed. And then you build up the mythos of mother nature and the only, And then what it does is if if you abuse mother nature and you don't repair her after mm-hmm. you've mined her and sucked her dry from this gold she's going to take the gold back is it missing some acknowledgement to tie that in to where she gets the gold back because think, they didn't do her they did her dirty
1: i think they've done they did mother nature dirty <laughs> yeah. uh i think they've done a few scenes like that but maybe there's one more that could really hammer it in because we've picked up on it just you know, it's there. It's the spoiling of the water on the pyrite. Right. It is repairing, you know, the mine shaft that they made, so we can leave the mountain the way we found it. But yeah, maybe we need one more to kind of say, if you don't do and you know respect, you know, the resources that we uh, pilfered, uh, she'll come back to bite you in the ass. I think with Cody
0: it's there too. If Cody is looking for the resources so that he can set up mm-hmm. and use what the land offers him, a place to build a homestead. Mm-hmm. Cuz he has the most noble means of them. Yes. Yeah. It's all there. Yeah. It just needs to be a couple lines about those hills are cursed or those mountains are cursed. Something like that. I think maybe. I think we're
1: able to pick up on it because, you know, they're so subtly there, those sequences. But, you know, for, you know, maybe other film watchers, another scene to really hammer that in. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, you brought up Sorcerer. I want to bring up another film that this reminded me of, or maybe the director was uh, inspired by this because, you know, the distrust factor. And yeah. It reminds me a lot of The Thing as well.
0: Well, I thought that's where you were going. You talked about them sleep with one eye closed is that's the scene at the end of the film, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. Let's yeah. just rest here for a while and see
1: what happens. Childs and McCready. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I just see a lot of sure. that, you know, when you're in such a stressful situation, whether it's mining for gold or trying to figure out who's who in the thing, you start to go mad. You know what I mean? You start to lose yeah. it a little bit. Even the sane ones start to at the end are just like, yeah, I don't even know anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know if I still have it together. Yeah. Uh, so many great films in that genre of, you know, 12 Angry Men, The Thing, you know, like you just can't trust the person sitting across the table from you. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, but, you know, and then oh, let's talk about Howard. Howard's an, a pharaoh <laughs> at, this, at this thing. They're feeding him uh, grapes. He's living a king. So his fears of they're going to go kill me or hang me at sunrise. No, he's living like a king. He's yeah. like he's like I could have five square meals a day if I decide to live with them, which I think he probably goes that route. Yeah, because that's a good life for him. Heck yeah, better than money. dying in some hills with two cutthroats and and no money. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So now they're trying to find Dobbs because uh, the the some other people found uh, Curtain and they're like he's shot. Dobbs did this to me. Oh shit! Where's our gold? We need to go find him and get it because that guy's a piece of shit. Meanwhile, the banditos are gotten arrested for, like, an unrelated crime <laughs> here in town. And so the federales there uh, in this little small village are just like, well, we're going to shoot you at sundown. <laughs> and I love the little touch. This this is, has to be Houston. It's just his tongue-in-cheek, which was they're about to just get shot. They have, they make them dig their own graves, first of all. Yep. And what does this guy do? He's like, can I wear my hat before you shoot me? So he goes and picks up his little sombrero and then they 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 gun these three guys down as they fall into their graves that they just dug. You know what i mean? Like yeah. that little just twinge of humor that's there with 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 some of Houston's filmmaking. Yeah. Pretty well done, but yeah, you set it up already. The they're on the race against mother nature uh to they found the satchels outside of this little abandoned uh uh Fort or something, whatever these ruins and uh, here come these winds and these, Oh gosh. And they must just be shitting bricks at this point being like, I hope we find something. I hope we find something. And the people from the village are very nice. They're helping them search for these satchels. And those guys are not greedy. You know know what I mean? They're just in it to, to help out someone that saved one of their own. And what do they find? Empty satchel after empty satchel. And man, does Howard have like the best laugh ever at the end? And he was just like, The only thing you can do now, you can be mad, you can choose to be mad, but you have to laugh at the situation of, yeah, this is what happens. This is what happens when you, when you throw mother nature, the finger, she, it it all goes back. You know what I mean? It's back to where we'd started. And it's like, she's taking it all back. And like a crazy man, he's just like laughing, like, like, like there's no tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Bittersweet. You know what I mean? Like you almost, you really did kind of want to see at least these two kind of come out with some earnings and. See what they were gonna do, and we know what Howard's gonna do. He's gonna go live like a king here in this little village. Uh, but you know, Curtains said, "I'll go. I'll go visit the widow and the son, and at least tell them what happened." Because back in the day, you wouldn't know. He just never came back, and I you assume he died. <laughs> right? <laughs> is this Howard's second time through this story? Probably, it, because I think the, the hilarity of his a manic laugh is could almost be, you know, viewed as. Yeah, he's laughing because this is this it happened to him already, you know what that's I what mean? That's what I think too, yeah. He had a chance and then something screwed it up. I would say he's had a chance
0: on the same mountain mm. because he's so familiar with the way to get the gold from it.
1: Well, there's probably a lot. I mean, the title of the film is The Treasure of the Sierra Madre. That can't be the only treasure that's there, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. It's a big mountain range, indeed. But the final parting shots, again, uh, this is another reason why I picked the film. It's we don't end with these characters in a traditional happy happily ever after <laughs> style. We literally pan down to a cactus with a, a bag that's a little full, right? Yeah. Uh, but they didn't see it, you know, because how can you scrounge every inch of what's happened here? Um, but it, it's almost it's Houston's also middle finger to these characters being like, yeah, ha, ha, got you guys. You know what I mean? Yep. If you looked a little bit more. You could have gotten something, $2,000 maybe. Maybe. Maybe they could have cut their losses. One little kind of just uh, comment that was uh, made in this film, they make some comment that they'd been out here for about eight months. It's a long time. So maybe those sunburns weren't makeup. Yeah, maybe not. Uh, But that's a a capper on the treasure of the Sierra Madre. Uh, A couple little things here, and then I have some questions for for you. Uh, let's see here. So I mentioned, yeah, this is one of the first Hollywood films to shoot outside of the the U.S. on location. Uh, back when the National Film Registry through Congress, uh, uh, you know, started selecting films for historical significance, this is one of the first films that was chosen. I think in like year two or three. Sure. Um, there was issues with the film going over budget, and Jack Warner of Warner Brothers was like a hothead. He was like crazed about this production. He thought it was just going to be a B-movie Western. And when it kept going over budget and they weren't coming back from Mexico, he was just like, what the hell's going on here? And then again, he had problem with the decapitation scene. So this film stressed that guy out quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. But then hopefully he was happy with kind of the, the end profits. I mean, it, it was a moderately successful film when it came out. Uh, but won three Academy Awards for uh Best Screenplay, Best Director, and Best Supporting Actor, so check, check, check. Some pretty big awards there for, for this film, not anything like technical. Big night for the Houstons. Big night for the Houstons. Because Walter Houstons is the supporting actor that won, right? Exactly, yeah. yeah. And, and then just as I just like to think about this off to the side when I watch this film is how cool this would have been for John and Walter to make this film together yeah. and Not only do you, John, or John Houston make probably arguably your best film, but you give your dad is able to do the best performance of his career. Uh, But then all the memories that you got to create on set and with the success of it all, like just personally, those guys probably had, this was probably a really important movie for them together. Sure.
0: Yeah. I don't know if they had a strained relationship prior to film. I don't think so, but it would be a nice bow Mm -hmm. to take that animosity and, and yeah that's something healed. i'd like
1: to know about but again the the it's it was probably very very per, a personal experience uh for for the two of them yeah uh let's see here uh what's your favorite tasting note of treasure of the sierra madre uh you know i, I don't
0: know if it's a moment i think the overall look of the film is impeccable
1: mm, okay
0: <coughs> yep. it looks from start to finish so dirty and so raw and so gritty that I think you feel like you're mining them out in the same way they are. So I'm going to say the overall outdoor aesthetic is second to none.
1: Isn't that refreshing? I mean, today, uh films look so synthetic because, you know, they're so phony looking because of computers and everything. But here you actually had a film filming in location on the that part reminded me of Sorcerer as well. It feels raw. It feels dirty. It feels like somewhere you don't want to be. So the only way you're going to get there is to watch it vicariously through this film. Yep. Mine's that moment I mentioned, whereas Curtin and Dobbs with each one, sleep with one eye open, <laughs> uh-huh. uh, with their guns drawn. And it's just like, man, who's going to fall asleep first? And it's, it's come to this, the whatever friendship you want to call it, your comrade, your buddy that you made way back in Tampico, it's come to this. Yeah, And it's all in your head, Dobbs. Really? Yep. You psycho. You psycho. <laughs> but, okay, real quick. What is the... Oh, my God! ...moment of Treasure
0: of the Sierra Madre? With Dobbs caps curtain. Hmm. Just to shoot him like that. Yeah. He's not going to go there. He goes there. He goes there. That's, that's... Yeah.
1: And that's the breaking point. I mean, I don't think there's anything that could ever happen in the film that could redeem that character at that moment oh, what's yours it's dobbs's death I've, i forgot how just in uh uh intentionally brutal it is but it's all obscured you know what i mean mm-hmm. they're just hacking at air because it's 48 you can't show gruesome murder like that right but uh, just the implication of man that was what what a way to go and then i read about it. i was like oh wow it was supposed to be a lot more intense too Oh, this should be interesting. Who's the master distiller on Treasure of the Sierra Madre? A lot of choices here. A lot of choices. Oh, uh,
0: boy. I'm going to give it to Walter Houston. Okay. I think that that's a really terrific performance. Easily can be outshined by Humphrey Bogart. Doesn't upstage him, but holds his own and is equally capable of playing capably alongside him.
1: Do you think... Is it is it one of the better... Supporting performances in, in film? Of all time. Yeah. yeah, Good choice. Cheers. Oh, man. It's hard, huh? You kind of want to give it to John Huston because he's just so in control of this thing. And I want to just imagine on, on set he's wearing that same white suit through the whole production. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm going to give it to Humphrey Bogart. I think, you know, in all the AFI lists and lists of amazing characters and villains and anti-heroes and whatnot... Man, I think you know the critics and the people in charge of those are they're missing it on Dobbs. This you said it at the very beginning. This is one of the best film characters of all time. Ever, right. He's so shitty and becomes shittier, and then he's just a complete shit by the time he dies. But it's the environment and the events of the film that make him go down that downward spiral. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. It's a it's a great character piece for him, and it's it's a great trio. And then in another film, very similar to the thing. Other than the 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 prostitute at the beginning, there's no women in this film. Yeah, you're right. At all. Maybe some villagers in that the village uh, survival scene. At all. You're right. Like in the final uh, Warner Brothers curtain call of the actors, there's not one one woman in there. Wow. Yeah, I pick up on that. You're yeah. right. Yeah. How are you gonna rate and grade treasure of the Sierra Madre? We have rock gut, well, call, single barrel, and top shelf. What are you going with for it's this one? Top shelf. This isn't not my list, this
0: is all time lists, and I support it. Top 20 films ever been made. It's a masterpiece. There's not a bad moment. It's handled with care. Every scene matters. It's well-performed. It looks good. The story's entertaining. This is an amazing masterpiece for filmmaking.
1: Well, this was my choice for this week. Yeah. Uh, I think I've said this you know, off mic to you, and now I'll say it here on the episode. This is my favorite film from the Hollywood golden age of, of movies. That um, That's coupled with films like Casablanca, Citizen Kane, you know, all those old classics, Rebecca from that era, this is my favorite of those because it's so effortlessly watchable, but I think better than citizen Kane in the way that it shows the downward spiral of men consumed by their own consumption. Uh, the, the, the elements, the environment, I like that it's Western. I like that it's treasure hunting, uh, great performances, great direction. Uh, I come back to this one fairly frequently. I think this is maybe, yeah, like I said, the sixth or fifth time that I've seen it, but each time I come away with the same feelings, it was like, man, this is a masterwork of just that era of studio filmmaking. Films later start looking different and they look less produced. They look more raw. Yeah. And that's that era of film that we really like. But here they were doing that before that with the limits of a studio system. You know what I mean? With yeah. Jack Warner breathing down your back. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, it's top shelf. This is one of my favorite films of all time. This is, this is some good stuff. It's a great choice. To your choice. To your choice. Or to your choice and to, to talking about it with you. I knew this was going to be a great discussion, but let's wrap this one up with a nightcap. okay being that this is 1948 we're right smack dab in the middle of the Hollywood studio system era of making films this is Universal Warner MGM RKO although they might be on the way out at this point too
0: yeah
1: uh Paramount Columbia big Studios Disney's figuring it out with their animation game like I mean films are ch- cranking at this point some classic actors that came out of this I think I gave you a year of 40 to 56. Some huge names that came out of this. Your top three favorite. Let's just, we'll go three, three, two, two, one, one.
0: Uh, one that's probably going to appear on both of our lists at three for me is Mr. Jimmy Stewart. Yep. Okay. Your three.
1: My number three, Ingrid Bergman. Good uh, choice. Someone who, whether it's Casablanca, Notorious, or Gaslight. I mean, not only is she just absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. But uh, the empathy she brings to a lot of her roles. I mean, of any actress, I think, in that era, she's always one that I've really gravitated towards for a sense of realism and just, you know, melancholy performances. We got to do Notorious one of these days. That would be a great film to talk about. Good choice, yeah. to so, number two. Claude Rains, just kidding. <laughs>
0: <laughs> number two. It could, it could have been. Actress. Okay. Irene Dunn. I knew you were going to pick her. Yeah, love her. Uh, such range wickedly talented on and off the screen philanthropist uh an amazing backstory every role from girl next door to i wouldn't quite say bombshell because she wasn't that like buxom like that but um yeah she was that's yeah what film from hers Uh, the her best for me is the awful truth okay yeah but there's where do you want to start and stop with that one exactly i think nominated seven times never won one (sighs) Jesus, come on.
1: Yeah. My number two, James Cagney. Wow. Uh, and talk about a guy that got, you know, really popular early on in like 32 with, oh gosh, why can't I remember the title of that? Well, like like Little Caesar yeah. and uh, Public Enemy, but the film for me that hammers it home, and I would love to do this one on the show with you on these days, is White, White Heat. Heat. Oh yeah. my God. I mean, that's a power keg of a performance. Yeah. Uh, there's just something about him. He looks, he looks, he's like Nicholson of the forties. He looks just angry. Ooh, all good. The, yeah. He looks just angry all the time. Love that. But was just like, he just, anything you read about him on the side, was just like, what a pleasant person to be around. Yeah. My number two. Number one. You're, you're number one. You, you know, I do know. Cary <laughs> Grant. Uh,
0: don't ask me which is his best. Cause it's everything from how he can play businessman as super spy in notoria or in uh, north by northwest to the gregarious acrobatic yet still charming male opposite in the awful truth um you know the one that he gets the most run for is like bringing a baby
1: well he's good in that I, I just
0: i i can't handle that film
1: oh well, that's insufferable but like for his ability yeah. to do almost near slapstick type yeah. of humor in a very fast delivery dialogue way i mean he's good at it so that's it yeah we gotta do philadelphia story one of these days too
0: well we should just like because i I know where you're going with number one (laughs) and um i we've just created the cask for i think number one if it's what i
1: think it's gonna be for you my number one's one you already mentioned it's jimmy stewart yeah for everything about Cary grant is very much the Clooney of his era to me stewart is the everyman yeah and there's just something else uh even more fascinating about uh, Stuart for me was the fact that he was just like, you know what? i got to go fight in this war. i yep. just murdering uh, like people, and I, I need to go do my duty. I think I mentioned when we did Wonderful Life that he's the most decorated actor in military servitude.
0: Yep.
1: Uh, killed a lot of people in World War II. <laughs> Um, but when I was thinking about it, I was like, is there a genre that Stewart didn't do? He did Westerns. He did, uh comedy. uh, comedy. He did rot drama. He did psychological thrillers. Like what didn't that guy do and do well? Mr. Smith goes to Washington, uh, vertigo rear window, yeah. uh, the naked spur, just like any genre. That guy just Harvey Harvey. Yeah. That guy just, he slayed, man. He was just so good. A Philadelphia story. Miracle and, or not. Um, It's a Wonderful Life. Yep, and Philadelphia Story is the only film he ever won an Oscar for. Weird. I know, right? He didn't win for Harvey. Nope, he was nominated. Huh. Grant never won one. Yeah, you never lifetime achievement. Oh, yeah, Yeah, that's just like we feel sorry for you. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, this was a lot of fun. Uh, Like I think you know, you know, our listeners are a very wide spectrum of what types of films they like. I know a lot of people like the horror. A lot of people like the genre stuff, and. I think it's nice to have a balance, but I think we need to do more of these types of films like like from this era because, A, people haven't seen them, so this will force them to go check them out. B, they have so many things going on in them that the conversations, whether it's production or the thematic elements in them, are just going to be so intriguing for everyone to listen. So we need to probably think about that, maybe kind of put in some of these older flicks from this era. I'm with that. Totally. Well, uh to cap on this cask. It was just a nice little interlude here because uh, what we're building up to, arguably the biggest film being released in twenty twenty one. Yeah. If you don't have your t- ladies and gentlemen, if you don't have your tickets, you're probably shit out of luck. Yeah. Too late now. <laughs> too late now. But we're gonna lead up to it, uh, a certain little web slinger. And I know you and I have been dying to talk about this film. Yeah. Probably since we started the podcast. Um, but what perfect Spider-Man film to lead up to the new release of Spider-Man No Way Home. With Spider-Man 2 from 2004. yeah, uh, Arguably the best Spider-Man film of the bunch. We get to talk about a character that's going to return in this film. We know he's returning. He's been in all the promotional material. Uh, but Probably, I
0: can't, and I bet two of them, to be honest with you. Yeah, two
1: of them, right? Yeah. Uh, I can't wait to talk about this because you are the Spider-Man guy. You love that character to death. You've collected so many of his comics. I can't wait to talk about what this film does right that makes it so well-regarded as a Spider-Man film, but as a superhero film in an era when, man, what's the last superhero film you and I liked? I mean, it was like, I don't even know if we've done it on the show. <laughs> Infinity War? Yeah, we didn't even do that one, uh, but yeah. that was, you're probably right. It probably was that movie. Yeah, uh, yeah
0: we did not do that on the show. You're
1: right. This is going to be a great discussion. I can't wait to talk about it. Uh, Spider-Man 2 from 2004 coming to you next week. Yeah, that'd Ex- be great. <laughs>
0: Excellent.
1: Well, uh, that's a cap to you, so cheers to you. Cheers. I'm going to go take a swim. Matt, if something happens to me and I take on too much water, I hope you're there off to the side to give me an arm pump and then a shot of tequila.
0: Well, you're a little bit bigger than that guy, so I'm going to have to go with the advanced technique, so it's arms and then
1: legs. Okay. But I got you. Go Thanks, man. I appreciate yeah. it. Thank you very much, everybody. We'll see you all next week. Have a good week, everybody. We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and be sure to leave us a rating and a review while you're there. It really helps out the show. And for Rye Smile Films merchandise, go to tpublic.com. The treasure of the Sierra Madre is property of Warner Brothers Pictures, and no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. <laughs>
3: A great joke played on us by the Lord or fate or nature, whatever you prefer. But whoever, or whatever played is certainly had a sense of humor. Ha! The gold has gone back to where we found it. Ah!